two, three, four. In this podcast, you will only hear Knights of Vader, Knights of Vader, includes but is not led to who talk of Star Wars, not Reagans. We can't truly prepare for the junk that follows this song, but hey, we give it a try. So here's the Knights of Vader. Crystal Fox reports they are divided. For equal sequel, hate and love they fight I know that we are just musicians hired. And their time is up, so here's the Knights of Vader. Most impressive. A big thank you to An Inspiriority Complex providing our theme song. It is April 30th, 2019. My name is Zach Weber. And you know what? I think you've already guessed it by the title of the episode, but it's another solo book review. Exactly what all you people look forward to when you click on this podcast once a week a book review. But I am excited to say we actually have a genuinely great book to discuss this week. This week we are talking about, if you haven't already guessed from the title of this episode, it is Master and Apprentice by Claudia Gray. If you know anything about the Star Wars books, I would think it's fair to say that Claudia Gray writes the best of them all out of all the, oh God, the stable of, of or maybe revolving door of Star Wars authors. I think Claudia Gray is the, the the gold standard. She's the real McCoy when it comes to this. Whether it be Lost Stars, Princess Leia of Alderaan, or some, or Princess Leia of Alderaan, some title like that, or Bloodline, she really is the 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 GOAT, to use the term that the kids use nowadays, of when it comes to Star Wars novels. Uh, before I get into any spoilers, I want to give my recommendation. This book is phenomenal. It gives you everything you want out of a Star Wars story. Um, read it. You won't regret it. But like I always say, go check out your local library before you give uh, the, the evil Sauron-like people at Amazon any money. So with that being said, spoilers abound from here on out. So um, I'm going to run down the plot of this book. It's not a, It doesn't have a huge intricate plot, which is nice for a Star Wars book. And I'd say probably the plot is the least interesting thing about this. Um, the plot essentially is of Master and Apprentice, Qui-Gon Jinn, and Obi-Wan, which takes place around eight years before The Phantom Menace. Uh, they make it known that uh, Obi-Wan is 25 by the events of The Phantom Menace, so he's around 17 here. They are sent on a mission to the planet of Pijal, where there is a, uh opposition faction trying to stop this planet in the hierarchy from signing a, a treaty with the Suzerka co- Corporation, which if you know your Star Wars legends, they've been there since the very beginning. All sorts of things happen where there's there's terrorist attacks and it's being done by uh, a, supposedly a bunch of like art students or like a theater performing group. And Qui-Gon's like, that doesn't make any sense. Why would a bunch of like theater people want to be blowing stuff up? But there's some events they find out that it's like a, a separate uh, – it's like a partition. There's another group of like anti-government radicals that are causing all this. Obi-Wan him like solve the case. They figure out who's causing all this. They stop all the issues. Bing, bang, boom, book's over. Which, like I said, is not really the interesting part of this book. The the kind of the crutch of this is basically we get very, very deep onto what Qui-Gon's fundamentals are and the relationship between him and Obi-Wan at this point. Um, again, I don't know my legends pre-Phantom Menace, so it's anybody's guess as to whether how much of this borrows from that era of Star Wars. But it's made very clear that Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan don't see eye to eye. 
it's it's a perfect extrapolation of how their relationship was in the Phantom Menace, where you can tell that Obi Wan is very much a person that likes to do things by the book, and Qui Gon is the exact opposite of that, where he believes in rules but he doesn't follow them to the T. And you get a bunch of just like oh god, like abrasive action between the two, where one will do something that really contradicts how the other one thinks and feels, but they learn how to reconcile those differences. Like very early in the book, it's made clear that Qui Gon is given the offer to join the Jedi Council. And Obi-Wan's basically mad at him throughout the entire novel, like, oh, he's going to leave me. I failed as an apprentice. I'm, I'm not the Padawan that I should be, yada, yada, yada. I'd say Obi-Wan's probably one of the more boring elements of this, which is surprising considering how um, much of a fan favorite he is. And don't take that as a detriment. I, I'm not saying like, oh, Obi-Wan's not the best part of this book. Zero out of five stars. No, not at all. He's, he's by no means not, he's not the focus of this. But there's actually a really cool moment with him toward the end that kind of explains his behavior for uh, the rest of the prequel trilogy, or one element of his character for the rest of the prequel trilogy. Um, why he doesn't like flying. Because throughout the entire book, they keep building up to the fact that he loves flying. And it's like, well, that 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 doesn't tie into what happens in Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. And then we get this point where he's on um, flying like a essentially something like a, like a smaller X-Wing. And he's flying through like the Sazerka Corporations, like one of their ships. And like it just like somehow he loses control of it, or I think autopilot takes over. And it basically just like it takes him on a wild ride and he gets out of it. And um, Qui-Gon like, sees him's like, oh, I thought you liked flying. He's like, never again. And it's like, well, you'll get over it. Nope, never getting over it. Um, it's, 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 a, it's a cute moment. It's, it's basically like a throwaway sequence in the book, but it's fun. Those are the kind of moments in Star Wars where it's like, oh, it's, you know, I've always said before, I don't like it when they flesh everything out in the universe. I like it when like little small details like that are filled in because I don't think anybody stays awake, up, stays awake at night being like, oh, I wish I knew why Obi-Wan doesn't like flying. But uh, no, it's a moment that unless you really seek this book out and really harp on it, you it won't spoil anything for anybody. Um, but no, so but you do have that kind of um, oh god contradiction in their uh, teacher student relationship between Qui Gon and Obi Wan, and you really do get into the thought process of, of Qui Gon and how because there is so because we learn a lot about like Qui Gon's. Um, like a big component of Qui-Gon figuring out the mystery of this, of, of the, 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 the plot of this is through his understanding of like the prophecies of the Jedi. Like we get, we don't just get flashbacks to, um, like I said, say in general, um, we get basically, we, there's a lot of flashbacks to, uh, Qui-Gon and Count Dooku's training together when obviously Qui-Gon was Dooku's Padawan and how Dooku's the one who introduced Qui-Gon to the, all the prophecies, the Jedi holocrons that stored all these knowledge and um, that that part is oh my lord, it's great. It's like this is the sort of stuff that we, we want from Star Wars. We want the mystical. It's like enough bounty hunters. Like don't get me wrong, bounty hunters are cool though, but give us some more mystical, uh, uh, the wisdom of all that and how Yoda really did. Like Yoda really, you can kind of see in a way that like I know we kind of look at his, look at Yoda as the fountain of knowledge and kind of the uh, the virtue of, of the Star Wars universe, but we see that even he gets kind of caught up in the. Oh God, the the hubris and the arrogance of the Jedi during the prequel era. It's, it's God. There's there's so many layers to this that I won't be able to delve into, or just because I can't I can't touch them all in in a time efficient way. Uh, uh, let's see where else I want to go. But no, we're introduced to like other. And you have flashbacks to Qui Gon. Um, oh God, once again, we have flashbacks to Dooku, which are interesting and pretty much the Dooku stuff is how you imagine he would have been as a Jedi. 
And um, but basically, a, a big component of this is the prophecies, like I already said. And I wrote down the prophecies that are touched on in the book, and it's like that's the part that's I, I okay. Uh, a component of this, I guess I should say this. I know last week we kind of touched upon it, though, but this entire month is going to be like Phantom Menace stuff. And that's why I figured this book review kind of ties into all that because it's more it's more rooted in the prequel Phantom Menace era of Star Wars than it is any other era. But I feel there's a lot of stuff in this book that's tying into what leaks are going around about the rise of Skywalker right now. So we are, I am going to be pinballing back and forth to certain like rumors that are, that are about right now. Um with that being said, I, I know basically a lot of these rumors I'm going to be pulling from are from like making Star Wars slash film, io9, and I know in today's spoiler phobic culture, culture especially, specifically after Avengers Endgame, um, everybody's afraid of stuff like this, so I guess spoiler warning. Again, I don't get how rumors are spoilers, but I, I think it takes a lot of arrogance to assume that something that's that's a rumor is, some, is correct, um, but it's there. If, if, if you haven't already turned out, tuned this off because of the, the Master and Apprentice spoilers, um, tune it out for that, I guess. Prophecies in this that are worth like bringing up that like apparently, and that's the thing too, is I know a couple, like when this book first came out like a month ago, or maybe a month ago by the time this episode comes out, there was a bunch of like, people were taking like a very specific passage from the book being like, oh, the Master and Apprentice book has the prophecy about Anakin. And that is a, that is one prophecy out of like five in this book. And I think they all tie into each other. I can't think that the prophecies that are mentioned in this book are here arbitrarily. I think a lot of this is being tied into what's going to happen in Episode Nine and The Rise of Skywalker. Especially how Claudia Gray writes novels that are more or less always tied into the, the newest films that are coming out. Like, and she wrote Lost Stars, which was the first instance we were ever introduced to really the Battle of Jakku. She wrote uh, uh, Leia, Princess of Alderaan, which ties into The Last Jedi, Bloodline. Bloodline's one of the few that's more out in the ether somewhere. Um, but it does tie into kind of what's happened in The Force Awakens. So I do think Claudia Gray is being briefed on what is going to happen in Episode Nine, And like Zenger likes to say, I think there is a, a substantial amount of seeding in this book. And, and specifically through the... Through the um, the prophecies. So the first prophecy, or the one that gets Qui-Gon's attention because it ties directly into the the events of the novel, is one, quote, When the kyber that is not kyber shines forth, the time of prophecy will be at hand, end quote. And that prophecy kind of plays into the, the novel the, or the plot of the book because they come, they come across these crystals, and they look like kyber crystals. And one of the characters in the books actually sells – these crystals as Kyber to like the Shizurka Corporation kind of dupes them out of a lot of money. But Qui-Gon kind of interprets this as, oh, big things are in store for the galaxy going forward. Something like we are on the verge of something seismic about to happen in the cosmic universe. And it's basically being like, okay, ringing of the bells, big things are going to happen in Star Wars. How that ties into the rest of the Star Wars saga, um, like I already mentioned, one, they, they find some of these crystals in the book that aren't exactly, they look like Kyber, but they're not. Or according to the character in the book that sells them, he says that like, unless you do like a microscopic like scan of them, you wouldn't know any better. I'm trying to think of any other examples in the Star Wars saga that would tie directly into that. But I can't think of any, even in um, the prequels. Maybe Clone Wars or, or Rebels did something with this. I don't. I don't. From what I can remember off the top of my head, I don't think so. 
Um, there's always, I think there's an argument to be made that maybe Rogue One, because I know in the Rogue One Catalyst book that Jyn Erso's mother had a, a crystal. I think it was supposed to be a kyber crystal, but who knows? Maybe, I, I, I don't know. I know a big thing that's going around right now in the Star Wars uh, fandom is the fact that maybe the prophecy, like Yoda says in Revenge of the Sith, might have been uh, misinterpreted. But I can't think of anything, especially in the sequel trilogy. I can't get any feeling about crystals or anything in that that would um, hint toward anything. Uh, the next one, this is the one that everybody, like I said, showed up on Reddit like a month or so ago. Quote, only through sacrifice of many Jedi will the Order cleanse the sin done to the nameless. The danger of the past is not past, but sleeps in an egg. When the egg cracks, it will threaten the galaxy entire. When the Force itself sickens, past and future must split and combine. A chosen one shall come, born of no father, and through him will ultimate balance and the Force be restored. End quote. This is the one that, again, everybody kind of latched on to, but I think this is the most telling. And I know a lot of people are interpreting this as, again, the events of Revenge of the Sith, more or less, or the prequel trilogy. But I don't, again, knowing how close Claudia Gray is and how much she's in the fold of Lucasfilm, I wouldn't be surprised if she was given some tidbits of the plot of Episode Nine, And this is her what's the word cryptic way of explaining this so people can go back and read this eight months from now and be like oh my god it was there all along we should have known like i I think the biggest one in this is the danger of the past is not past but sleeps in an egg when the egg cracks it will threaten the galaxy entire and how i'm interpreting that considering that we all know now that palpy is going to be back in episode nine it's the idea that when the egg cracks, maybe there's something in the Death Star ruins. Again, going back, this is my speculation now for episode nine. Maybe there is something there with Palpatine. Like not saying he's chilling in an egg in the middle of the ruins of the Death Star, but maybe he maybe he somehow is able to survive in some sort of hibernation process or just something that he was able to contain. Maybe he was able to like kind of like they did in Clone Wars with Darth Maul. Maybe he was able to kind of roll himself up into a ball and just kind of feed off his negative energy that kept him alive. I don't know. The fact that it says it will threaten the galaxy entire would sound like something that would tie into why the First Order in, in the Kylo Ren, the Knights of Ren would want to stop Palpatine as well. Like, like I've said before, I definitely think a lot of the rumors that came out of like The Last Jedi, the, the idea that both Rey and Kylo Ren would have to fight this grand new... like It's kind of like I think in a way they're treating Palpatine in this as a quasi form of the Yuuzhan Vong, where it's like he, like if Palpatine somehow regains his power or gains power for like, oh God, uh, not the second time though, but if he's given access to power once again, it could be devastating for everybody. It's kind of like I would imagine not not to go back to Avengers Endgame and spoiler alert, another spoiler alert. If you haven't tuned it out already for the Master and Apprentice spoilers, the potential Episode Nine spoilers, you'll definitely tune out now for the Avengers Endgame spoilers. I think it's kind of like the idea that like what Thanos does in that movie, where it's like, oh, in, in Infinity War, I'm going to snap my fingers and make everybody disappear, or half of everybody. And then at the, at the end of Avengers Endgame, he's like, well, clearly that didn't work, so I'm just going to murder a lot of you and start over. I wouldn't be surprised if that maybe is an element of this, that Palpatine gains power. He's just going to wipe everybody out. Because clearly the Imperial Remnant didn't help him, and there might be some sort of quasi- uh, oh god continuation of operation cinder that like obviously if the resistance is still around or I, I still think they're gonna call themselves the rebellion by the time we get to episode nine but in the fact that the first order really isn't doing much better 
Palpatine might just try to wipe the entire board and be like, you know what, I'm starting over. I'm wiping out a lot of you. And this also kind of goes to another idea. If you're following the rumors, eh, you know what, I'll get to, I'll get back to that in a moment because that'll tie into other things. Um, one thing I do want to point out that said numerous that said a couple times in this book is the phrase "time of prophecy." I have a feeling that th- that's said one too many times in this that leads me to believe that we might hear that again, episode nine. If what Jar Jar says is true with this film, that it's going to tie in everything all at once, I wouldn't be surprised. But um, make note of that. Time of prophecy. It might be important in a couple of months. Another thing they make a big point of in this is seeking to know the future is a path to the dark side. And by the end, and this isn't one of the prophecies, but by the end, Qui-Gon kind of like reconciles this because he wants to know the prophecies. And numerous times he says too, like, oh, they're just metaphors. They're not meant to be interpreted literally. And then by the end, end of the book that he kind of learns, okay, they can be interpreted literally in some instances. And so he kind of reconciles the idea of trying to know the future is a path to the dark side with this. And I, I, this is taking exactly verbatim out of the book. And I quote, that in the end was why the prophecies weren't dangerous to him. Not the same way they'd been to others who'd been led to darkness. The danger came in thinking that knowing the future became a form of control over it. Finally, Qui-Gon understood it was the exact opposite. Knowing the future meant surrendering to fate, surrendering to the ebb and flow of life. Only through that surrender could the force be truly known. And that, again, that's, you know, it's not to the prophecy, it's some really nice philosophy in Star Wars. The idea that trying to know the future isn't bad. It's only if you try to control it that, it, that it's some, some form of evil. I think that's neat. I really like that. I dig that a lot. Like, and there's some really, oh God, there's some really great philosophy from, like Star Wars philosophy from Qui-Gon. That, that's what makes this book worth it. The philosophy from Qui-Gon. But going back to some more uh, prophecies, here's another one. She who will be born to darkness will give birth to darkness. A lot of people, I know I, I read Star Wars, or I watched Star Wars Explained video on this, and he thinks that's Leia. And, I, and even in the book, too, that, I think Obi Wan's researching that. And that part is written in Alderanian, or it's an old Alderanian prophecy. So he interprets that, oh, Leia was born to darkness, the daughter of Darth Vader, and she gave birth to darkness, Ben Solo, Kylo Ren. And yeah, I could see that. But at the same time, though, it's that Leia, I don't think, I don't know if Leia was born to darkness, maybe the darkness of an era of Star Wars, but it makes sense. I, I think you could interpret that maybe a little bit differently, though, but um, I'm not going to do that right now. Uh, here's another one that I think ties directly into The Last Jedi. When the righteous lose the light, evil once dead shall return. I think that's 100% slam dunk uh, Luke Skywalker. And I don't think that's in the sense of when the righteous lose the light. I think that's the idea that once you kind of extinguish the light, whether it be through uh, killing it or just disappearing on its own accord, much like what Luke does at the end of The Last Jedi, it's the idea that Palpatine wouldn't make his return until he knew Luke Skywalker was gone. And I think I think that is a very specific thing that people aren't talking about in this movie. Is that why would Palpatine be... Uh, making his return now. Why not do it during the last 30-something years? Or by the events of Episode 9, supposedly it takes place a year after The Last Jedi, 30, 31 years. So I, I do think that the idea that Palpatine is choosing now is very significant to the, to the story as to why he couldn't do it before. Like, why wouldn't Palpatine come out of the darkness when Luke was uh, moping on the island? That'd be a perfect time to come out. Go, go help Lord Emperor Snoke, and you two could rule the galaxy. Exactly. I think there's a very specific reason why uh, Palpatine chose now. 
the, the second to last prophecy referenced in the book is one who will ascend to the highest of the Jedi, despite the foreboding of those who would serve with him. I, I think you could sit there. I think in the book it's meant to be Qui-Gon Jinn. It's the idea that, like I said, Qui-Gon's invited to be a member of the Jedi Council and Yoda has like deep reservations in a scene where Obi-Wan contacts them at the same time. It's made clear that not all the members of the Jedi Council really want Qui-Gon there because Qui-Gon is such a contrarian to the group think of the Council. Uh, it could also be interpreted as Anakin during Revenge of the Sith. But again, I don't... I, again, I think a lot of this ties into something, though, but clearly... Um, I think it, it could even maybe even reference Kyle, uh, Ben Solo in that sense that one will send to the highest of the Jedi despite the foreboding of those who would serve with him. So maybe there's an idea that with Luke's kind of uh, uh, uneasy nature with him, maybe. I don't know. That's a fun thing about these prophecies. It's fun to interpret them. But this one, folks, this one is the best. And I think it ties directly into the rumors that are currently going around about the rise of Skywalker. And right now we're going to kind of shift gears a little bit and go to a rumor that making Star Wars has I think he po- I think Jason Ward posted it it says April 27th it's only a couple days ago. And once again this is the point that he says it's a spoiler warning. He feels so confident in this that he thinks it's a spoiler. So once again, uh, tune it out if you don't want to if you don't want anything potentially spoiled for you for episode nine, I again at this point I think maybe three people on the face of this earth know the plot of this film. And considering that nobody had even a small inkling about Palpy until that trailer, and now all of a sudden everybody knows the entire plot of this film in the span of two weeks, I'm a little iffy. So basically, what Jason Ward says here, he says that. A really solid source over the years has passed on something they heard internally, but this means his past solid source is using information that is once again somewhat unproven. Uh, blah, blah, blah. I think we should see it. Okay, still. All right, and this is all done through bullet points. The rumor is that Matt Smith isn't Palpatine reborn or rejuvenated, but a dark side acolyte. However, during the rise of Skywalker, Matt Smith's character is willingly possessed by the spirit of Palpatine. During the final act of the film, Ray and Kylo team up to fight the Palpatine-possessed Matt Smith. The two-on-one duel is pretty intense for the duo. Eventually, Kylo Ren kills Palpatine's host body, Matt Smith. Palpatine's spirit then jumps into Kylo Ren's body. Kylo Ren is strong enough to not lose total control of his men- mental f- faculties. Kylo Ren struggles to take control of his body but subdues himself and his weapon while beckoning Ray to kill him. Kylo does the right thing and becomes Ben Solo again as he sacrifices himself to kill Palpatine. Ray, having never toyed with the dark side like Kylo Ren in the Acolyte, means Palpatine. Me, okay, that's still weird. Palpatine has body evil enough to inhabit. Okay. Basically, what the gist they're getting out of it is, and this also ties into an article that io9 wrote, uh, the website io9.gizmodo.com wrote back in December 21st of 2017, um, titled, so I'll link to all these in the show notes if you actually want to go um, chase them down. So apparently, Snoke may have trained at least one other apprentice, and from this article, there was a book or some okay, like one of those magazines that they, it's like a cross promotional tie-in when when these movies gets released. And it was titled "The Souvenir Guide to the Movie Star Wars: The Last Jedi," and it was official. And it has a write-up on Lord Emperor Snoke. In the first paragraph, it says, "Quote: Force sensitive and highly attuned to the dark side, but not a Sith. Snoke has trained Kylo Ren." And at least one other apprentice. And in the art, they have pictures of it. So if you want to corroborate whether it's true, 
And if you got in court again, uh, Jermaine Lucier, who wrote this post, says when he first saw this, he thought it was fishy and thought maybe it was just something, I don't know, one of those BS things like a magazine article just writes and kind of fill in the blanks to a story. And yet he went and kind of followed followed the trail but he says he looked and it was this was available through the star wars insider app for the longest time and then at the masthead for this or wherever this magazine was the lucasfilm story group was credited so once again to repeat force sensitive and highly attuned to the dark side but not a sith Snoke has trained kylo ren and at least one other apprentice so it's very well possible that maybe this Matt Smith character is that other acolyte that Snoke had on the side. Or maybe, maybe I, I have no idea how this ties into the Knights of Ren. I think Jason Moore says a couple of times in some of his other articles that Matt Smith isn't a Knight of Ren or anything like that. That maybe he is this other, or kind of the OG acolyte to Snoke. Going back to Master and Apprentice, there's one quote in this. The final prophecy in this, and it's said rather late in the book, it's like, I have like a 320-page book. It's like page 288. It says, and I quote, he who learns to conquer death will through his greatest student live again. And if Matt Smith was the original apprentice to Snoke, and maybe, again, I know there's some rumors going around that Snoke maybe was some form of like apprentice. And somebody wrote a post on Reddit in the comment section. I know it's really kind of blowing up on like second-rate blogs. And but at the same time, just think back to all these rumors. What if that was the case? That like there's one way you can of course you could also interpret this line another way too, kind of like what Luke says in the the Rise of Skywalker trailer that thousand generations now live in you. Yes. And plus you could take it in a much more philosophical approach that a master can live on through his apprentice in the ways of what they teach in their beliefs. It's how you instruct your your padawans or your students, you can live forever. If you teach them the right things, but considering this is star Wars and everything has to be kind of literal or on the nose of it. Think of it that way. If Palpatine is able to resurrect himself in the flesh through inhabiting Matt Smith's acolytes body, master and apprentice may have given us a clue in that. In so far as the, the prophecy of he who learns to conquer death will through his greatest student live again. Just throwing it out there, folks. I, I think that if anything, if there ever was a smoking gun, um, it's that for this book. I want to get back a little bit now to the rest of the book because I thought that was really interesting. Though like, I was kind of reading that because it's funny. I read that, pa- that like one passage like right after that Jason Ward story broke, and I'm like, <gasps> I'm like, oh my god, it ties in. It's great. I love it. Uh, but no, getting back to the book at, at large, um, there's some really kind of cool characters in it. Uh, there's there's a Jedi Knight. Oh, that's another thing too. Oh, that's how this ties into. The- <laughs> Just dawned on me. Um, Because there's another character in this book called Rael Avaros. He's a Jedi Knight. Uh, he he was the he was Count Dooku's original Padawan before he even trained uh, Qui Gon Jinn. And there's a story that Qui Gon learned. Not he knows it though, but it's kind of told to us very early in the book that uh, Rael Avaros had a Padawan, and through his just not following the rules during like a Jedi res- rescue mission to save some like passengers during a hostage situation. Um, his he didn't follow the rules, and his padawan gets a slicer dart, and it, like it controls his bo- her body, and she starts to attack Rail Avros, and he has to kill her in order to protect the hostages. But if he didn't break the rules or protocol, that never would have happened. And I think it's interesting that during this, when his padawan gets sliced, 
that she for those of you who don't know that basically is that she loses all control of her abilities eventually she gets like mind controlled but at the same time like it's just her like bodily functions her muscles her mind is still alert like think okay i can't believe i'm gonna use this as an analogy or comparison think of terminator 3 rise of the machines (laughs) when um the terminatrix controls arnold schwarzenegger and he goes after john connor and john connor's like you don't want to do this and arnold schwarzenegger's like you don't understand because desire is irrelevant i am a machine can't believe i know all that but anyway though it's kind of like that and it's interesting now that i think about it that the idea that somebody has to kill a loved one because they're 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 being controlled by a malevolent force actually ties directly into what that rumor of episode nine is the idea that ray might have to kill kylo ren slash ben solo in order to wipe out palpatine like basically how to stop a bad force i, I don't know like just Maybe maybe I'm pulling, or maybe Jason Ward's wrong, and you know what? Two wrongs make even a worse wrong. Um, no, just just an idea out there, folks. But no, Rail Avaros. He's after this happened like years earlier, where his Padawan he had to kill his Padawan. He's sent off on this planet called Pijal. Who, um, while he's there, he's basically the Lord Regent of this planet. While the, the the princess there is not of age to assume the throne, so he makes all kind of executive decisions. And while they're there, there's some bickering between how Qui-Gon sees things, how they and how Rail Avaros does things. They get into an argument because Qui-Gon, there's going to be like, by signing this, there's an agreement in this, it's Star Wars, there's always trade agreements and stuff. By signing a trade agreement with the Suzerka Corporation, they basically allow like indefinite slavery on the planet, Pijal forever. Qui-Gon learns of this. Doesn't want any parts of it, refuses to sign a treaty on behalf of the Republic because he's like, at the same time, in addition to solving why there's like an opposition, he's there to um, sign, be like a kind of like a, like a Republic notary, if that makes any sense. Um, I'm sorry for not explaining this novel properly, but I don't, I guess, I don't think the plot of this is really that is the important part. It's kind of everything surrounding the plot. That's the most again. It's the philosophy surrounding it, the Star Wars uh, uh, world building that really makes this uh, book bloom. Obi Wan's kind of like I said, stick in the mud in this. He he has his moments where he does some pretty cool stuff, especially toward the end. There's a couple of weird things in this that kind of don't exactly line up with the Phantom Menace. Like make a very big point of Qui Gon's like vehemently after this against slavery. He's like like if I like, I'm gonna make it like my priority from now on to like lobby the Jedi Council to stop slavery like across the Republic and to like in like wherever reaches it may have outside of the boundaries of the Republic. I don't want I don't I don't want to contribute to slavery at all. Slavery is bad. And the other thing that's weird is that, like, it ties. There's also the line of dialogue from the um, Phantom Menace where Obi Wan says something to Qui Gon, like, "Maybe if you behave better, the Council would invite you as a master," which doesn't really tie into this either because Qui Gon had the invitation, he turns it down in the end because he's like, "I pretty much the exact reasons you imagine." Qui Gon wants no parts of all this, and or, or basically he doesn't want. He knows kind of the bureaucracy of what the Jedi Order has become and how they kind of look the other way because it's easier. At numerous times in this, they rail Avaros and Qui-Gon reference, like, oh, I wonder what, like, because at this point, Dooku has left the Jedi Order. And they're like, oh, I wonder what Dooku would do during this time, blah, 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 blah. And I'm pretty sure in Legends, Dooku left the Jedi Order about the same time as the events of the Phantom Menace. But clearly that's wrong, because Phantom Menace is 10 years prior to Attack of the Clones, and this is 7 years prior to that. 
Sudoku had already been gone from the Jedi Order for at least 17 years prior to the events of Attack of the Clones. And they keep referencing, like, oh, I wonder what Dooku would do, like, under all these things, whether it be the prophecy, Qui-Gon being invited to the, um, the Jedi Council, Rail Avaros's problems in general. And he's basically, they're like, they try to get a hold of him, nobody can get a hold of him, except for, like, the very end of the book, Rail Avaros finally gets a hold of Dooku, and Dooku's like, join me, Avaros, and you and I can rule the galaxy together in a way that no one's ever had before, which I think, which I think is supposed to be some sort of tie-on to that new Dooku audio book they've been really selling hard in the last couple weeks. And um, Rail Avaros is like, no, I'm gonna go back to the Jedi Temple, I'm gonna see what they have for me, and Dooku's like, you're making a grand mistake here. So it's going to be interesting to see what Dooku, maybe how Dooku ties into this. I would imagine that if the Jar Jar Abrams quote of this is all going to tie together in the end, I know, I, again, I know I've made fun of that for the last couple months, but maybe there is something to that. Maybe he is tying the stuff all together where we're going to see that all, like, I know Zenger and I, if all goes according to plan, last week we did our how intricate is Palpy's plan and we haven't recorded the episode yet. So if I do repeat anything in this week's episode that we already kind of touched upon last week, please forgive me. Maybe there is a lot of this stuff in here where it's like maybe pa maybe Palpy did plan all this stuff, whether it be going from Maul to Dooku to Grievous to Anakin. And I know there's theories going around too that Palpatine's want like like was grooming all these apprentices to like do body hopping with them. I know that's a theory that's going around Reddit. I, I have nothing to base that off of. I think there's really nothing to base that off of other than uh, Jason Ward's uh, rumors. But I guess my last thing I really want to say about this book is that the final chapter. Is takes it takes place right after Qui Gon's death, right before the 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 funeral of Qui Gon, where they're burning his body on the pyre, and we have some great, we have some interesting moments about how like Obi Wan felt like unequipped to really train Anakin, really kind of like hammering that point in that like okay, Obi Wan kind of felt dejected and disenfranchised when like, Qui Gon's like, I'll take Anakin as my Padawan. During those moments from the Phantom Menace, and he's like, I, I wasn't even formally like, like, in, what's the word? Granted the rank of, of Jedi Knight, I kind of had like a very quick swearing in so ceremony on the bow, and um, it really feels ill-equipped. And kind of you can sense the foreboding there once again that that Anakin, like, like Obi Wan realizes that he's about to tackle something really kind of larger than himself, and doesn't know whether he'll be able to handle it. Much like what he says in Revenge of the Sith, um, "I failed you, Anakin." I failed you. Uh, but no, uh, that's basically it, though. There's there's some really, like, this is a phenomenal book. Um, I know I've in the past, I've said that, like, Lost Stars is my favorite book. And um, and sadly, I think if you've been listening to this podcast long enough, you know my disdain for the, uh, from a certain point of view, short story collection, how I say that's the worst thing to ever happen to Star Wars. Uh, unfortunately, I might have to go back and revisit that because Claudia Gray wrote a a chapter in that book titled, oddly enough, Master and Apprentice, where Obi-Wan is able to commune with Qui-Gon Jinn during the events of A New Hope. Uh, so I would imagine going back to that might tie in and maybe might enhance my knowledge of what's currently going on in this book and all the other rumors and stuff that are flying around right now in the Star Wars fandom. Uh, like, like I said, like, I think I've, I don't think I've said on the podcast before, but I, I should say it now that like any, I think Jim has said it, like any good piece of media should make you want to go back to another piece of media in that franchise and re-examine it. That's how you know a a world, a fictional world is really living and breathing when it forces you to go back to other pieces of media that were written years ago or filmed years ago and really take a new look at all that. And I guess you should say one last thing that like if you are like 
the world building in Star Wars mythology in this are much more. They're not. What's the word? I don't want to say fancy. Fancy is not the an elegant elegant enough word for something like this, though. But it's not like what happens in those last few episodes of the Clone Wars with Yoda, and he's tra- traveling to all these different planets. He has the the six emotion specters flying around him, and Qui Gon's like a bunch of like, oh god, um. Fireflies flying around the planet. No, it's not like that type of like mystical Star Wars. It's much more grounded and like everybody's reading text and stuff. But if that even interests you in the slightest, go pick this book up. It's great. Uh, you certainly won't be disappointed. It gets my full recommendation, folks. Master and Apprentice by Claudia Gray. Buy it or check your library first. Then if you can't find it, your local library, buy a copy of it. You won't regret it. So with that being said, so concludes this episode of the Knights of Vader, a Star Wars podcast. Check out the Facebook group, Knights of Vader. You'll find I, Force Ghost, Jim, and Zenger waiting there to greet you. Find us on Instagram at KOV Podcast. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes or whatever podcasting platform you're currently listening to us on. Thank you to An Inspiriority Complex for providing our theme song. Check out the show notes to hear more from them. For questions, comments, concerns, or sniper remarks, contact me, Zach, on Twitter, at Cinemodies. And you can also hear me on the Cinemodies podcast, where we'll be discussing... Actually, we'll be discussing 2018's Vox Lux, starring Padme Amidala, Padme Nabiri herself, Natalie Portman. Woo! And you can also find Zenger on the Zengness podcast, where if he's not still talking about the live-action Sonic trailer... He'll definitely be doing some uh, Avengers Endgame stuff, and Lord knows whatever Zenger does keep himself occupied, but chances are it'll still be Sonic stuff. So that being said, folks, good night, but not goodbye.